Okay, so uh, again, uh, I, I have a topic, uh, but if you want to ask me questions, that's fine also. So uh, whatever you want is, is fine. I can start talking about my topic, and you can divert me to whatever, whatever you want to divert me to. Okay, um, I, I actually wanted to talk today, because I was doing it in another place too, I wanted to talk about a certain aspect of medical halacha that involves risk-taking. Uh, are you allowed to take a risk, and what is a risk, and uh, what risks uh, can you take, must you take, should you take, and, and the like. So first, let's start off with a general rule. There's a rule in the Rambam that the Rambam codifies, based on the Gemara, that a person is not allowed to put themselves in dangerous situations. Right? This is called, you're not allowed to put yourself in a makam Sakana. And the source of this is from the halacha of Ma'akeh. Ma'akeh is the halacha in the Torah that when you have a flat roof that people can walk upon, you are obligated to make a fence around the roof uh, so that people shouldn't fall down. And the Rambam says that's a generalization that you're not allowed to keep in your home or your business what are called dangerous conditions, and that's both because you're endangering other people and you're endangering yourself. You cannot be machnes yourself in a makayim sakana. Now, here is the big question. It's very nice to say you're not allowed to do dangerous things, but what does that even mean? I mean, everything is dangerous. Driving is dangerous. Going on a bus is dangerous. Uh, walking, crossing the street, especially here in Israel, crossing the street <laughs> can be dangerous. But I still, I haven't, you know, I've been here more than 10 years, I still haven't mastered the Israeli concept, concept is you cross the street, a car is going full speed because they're, they're supposed to stop. Uh -huh. I don't know, I, I can't cross until I see a it's car stop. Scary. I know. <laughs> yeah, but be it as, be it, as it may. Uh, and what are you going to say? Staying in bed is not, even staying in bed is dangerous. I remember uh, reading when I lived in, uh, near Washington, D.C., there was a little boy, uh, there was a drug war outside of his house and the projects, and uh, a bullet went through the shabby construction, and it killed the seven-year-old who was just sleeping. He was just sleeping in bed. Bullets went through the wall. So even staying in bed, you know, it was not safe. Yeah? Can I ask a question about a flat roof? It's, yeah. It's a... Um, I actually have a little trailer at the beach that won't move, and there's a porch built on, and it's flat, but it's super low, like it's the ceiling super low. So it depends how low it is. So the rule is, it has to be at least 10 tefachs high. So a tefach is four inches. Four inches. One tefach is four, four, four inches. So 10 tefachim is 40 inches high. So once it's 40 inches high, you're supposed to have a maka, you know, it's something to think about, some type of fence some type of protective uh, fence. You know, it's something you notice. I mean, you notice that actually a lot of people don't keep this halacha. Even shoals don't always have it. It's uh, something to be aware of. This is Rambam? Say again? Rambam? Yeah, the Rambam, sure. The Rambam brings this halacha. I mean, it's in the Torah. The dinner of Makkah is in the Torah, but the Rambam codifies it. Oh, so it's you. not even if it's a roof, it's just it's a flat surface higher than 40 inches. That's correct. I mean, that, that's the definition of what a roof is. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to understand, though, it has to be something that people stand on. For example, this table. 
this table is, is 40 inches from the ground, right? So do I have to build a fence around the table? Uh, the answer is no, because most of the time, this is not made for people to stand on. Now, sometimes people do stand on it. Yeah, you stand on it for the, either to galvanize the crowds or to change a light bulb or, or whatever it would be. But since it's not generally set up for standing, so you don't have to build a, a maca, maca around. So like a stage, let's say? Uh, it's an interesting question. Now, here's the question. The question becomes, here's the, here's the question. When is it big enough so it becomes its own floor? In other words, right? Uh, it's raised, but if it's big enough, it's now like a regular floor, right? So you don't measure, you don't consider it a ra something that's above the ground level. But the truth is, stages, I think, should have a market. Stages can be very dangerous, uh, especially, you know, people, people are blinded by the lights or uh, it's dark uh, at one point and the, there's spotlights and uh, they can get disoriented. People it's fall... It's hard to watch a show. Yeah, people can fall off. Well, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I, I realized that would compromise the dr drama a little bit. But people can get disoriented on a stage. I don't know if any of you have uh, ever been in a play or something like that. Uh, yeah, it can, is dangerous. You can kind of lose your, lose your orientation. <laughs> so it's something to, uh, to, be, to be aware of. Okay. Um, all righty. So my question, though, is more of a conceptual question, and that is, you're not allowed to do dangerous things. Well, what on earth is dangerous? What is not dangerous? Everything is dangerous. So here, the halacha has a very interesting, almost circular idea. That is, the types of dangers that a society accepts as normal parts of life, you're entitled to have bitachon, trust that Hashem will protect you. So driving would be, I think, the most common example. Uh, driving or going on a bus, certainly, are things that people just understand is part of regular living. Now, yes, there is a risk. Yes, there is a danger. But since it is makubal as part of ordinary life, so we apply a pasuk in Tehillim. It says in Hallel, Shomer Pesoyim Hashem. That means Hashem watches over the foolish. Meaning, dangers that are mekubal uh, are considered to be within divine protection. Dangers that are beyond that which is mekubal, at that point you're not allowed to do. So essentially, halacha is working with, do people regard this as an unusual type of sakana? So something like bungee jumping, extreme, what they call extreme sports, mm -hmm. uh, that might, might be us. I'm not saying for sure because I, 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 when I said this in another place, somebody pointed out that bungee jumping itself is safer than driving. <laughs> so, so the things we think are safe can be dangerous, the things we think are dangerous can be safe. I mean, air travel is a very good example. You know, um, the custom is that we bench Gaimel when we come back from a, uh, when we cross uh, the water on, on, on a, in an airplane. Right, what's benching Gaimel? Well, benching Gaimel is a bracha that you recite when you have been saved from a dangerous situation. A woman after childbirth recites the Gomel benching, or her husband does it, two different customs. A person who was deathly ill or had a serious operation. Sorry for okay. Sure. So you bench Gomel, right? You bench Gomel uh, for a serious illness. 
A person's bench is gomel if he was in prison, because prison is considered to be dangerous. A person who was lost at sea, right? So, gomel people bench for airplane voyages. Now, the problem is, we don't bench gomel in a, if I drive, even if I drive from here to uh, Ulat, several hours, I don't bench gomel. But I bench Gaimel for an airplane because that's considered to be dangerous. Now, the truth is, statistically, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, air is safer than driving. If you fly from here to Iraq, you would say that. So it depends. Some postkim would say, see, it's, again, it's a curious thing. Some postkim say you only bench Gomel for an airplane if it went over water. If it just went over land, you don't bench Gomel. I'm assuming if you fly away a lot, you do go over water. I'm assuming, but I'm not sure. Uh, you probably go over the Mediterranean. So according to that, you would bench Gomel. Uh, now that too is a difficult. I'm not answering some, I, I'm, I'm raising more questions than I'm answering. I, I have a friend that's a pilot, a from guy. Uh, he says he's not a pilot for a big airline, but he's a pilot for the small planes. And he says, it's, if he has to crash land, God forbid, it's much safer to do it on water than to do it on land. Because water, there's no impact, so you know. So they'll get you on, they'll get you on a boat or a flotation thing, and they'll they'll get you somewhere. Mashiach Kane, if it has to crash on land, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a hard surface. So he said, he as a pilot, he would rather have an emergency landing on water than an emergency landing on land. But Lamaisa, Lagabe Gomel, the halacha seems to say that we treat the journey over water as potentially more, more dangerous. Now, Chazal were not talking about airplanes, they were talking about travel. So they said boat travel in those days was more dangerous than land travel, but it's a little hard to know how to apply it, Bizman Hazem. But still, that seems to be the minog, that if you're an airplane and you go over water, you do bench gomel uh, when you come back. So it's a little hard for a woman to do it because it's a little awkward, because gomel can only be said with a minion. You cannot do gomel without a minion. So for a woman after childbirth, there are two minhagim. Either her husband benches gomel in shul while she's there, or the best minhag is that after davening, the husband will get you know nine other people or whatever it is, and she, you know, she it's not, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but she just benches gomel in front of uh, 10 people. But if you're a single person, you don't have a husband to get the crowd for you, uh, you know, so it's a little difficult. You come back from an overseas voyage and uh, you have an obligation to bench Gomel. It's not so easy uh, to be able to do it. So a lot of people don't do it, but, but Lamaisa, uh, men and women are, have the same chiyav here. So if, if I have to bench Gomel, then you have to bench Gomel. It's the, it's the same thing. So hopefully at Shul, you can go to the rabbi of the Shul or whatever it is and ask him that you, you need to bench. Gomel and uh, and and the like. Uh, Your father can't just do it for you, like if you're not there. No, uh, uh, at most, even then, it's really it's always better for the person themselves to do it. But at most, a, a, a father could do it for a child who's not bar bas mitzvah. They could do it for a kata. But once uh, you're a gadol, once you're twelve or, thir- or boy thirteen, then you have to do it yourself. The only thing is, a married woman, perhaps her husband could. Could do it for. Now you know it's interesting that uh, in Eretz Yisrael, apparently people have different definitions of what's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think something that an American would think is so dangerous in Israel they just shrug it off. I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're on a bus and uh, the seat in back of you is empty, and if you're going to Hebron or something, 
all of a sudden a huge rock goes through the window right in back of you, smashes the window, and lands on the seat in back of you. Which means if it would have been a few inches in front, God forbid, uh, you could be killed. So uh, every rabbi in America is going to say, well, this was really, really dangerous and near miss. You should bench Gomel. In Israel, a lot of rabbis say, well, it wasn't in your same row, right? It was a row in back of you. Yeah, that's fine. It has to at least graze you. You have to feel, you have to feel a scratch on your forehead. Then, well, then you bench Gomel. So people have a different definition of what is dangerous. I mean, I mean somebody told me, it's hard for me to believe, Shlomo Zalman Orbach says, if you're in a place and there's a terrorist attack in the place, but it was not directly to you, he says, you don't bench Goma. I mean, it, it's hard, it's really hard to believe. I, I'd have to know more exactly, exactly what the facts uh, were, but that's the idea of benching Goma. I guess. Where did he live? Shlomo Zalman Shlomo Zalman lived, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he lived in the, into this century. He, he sniffed her around um, 20, 20 years ago. Yes, yes, that's the thing. Hundred percent. The only requirement of Gomel is that there be a minion. To respond to say Amen. So it happens to me they did a Torah reading because that's a convenient time when you have a minion. But sure, the, the old minig of Yushalayim was that men would actually come to a woman's house after childbirth. And she would bench Gomel in her house and they would say Amen. So it does not have to be a Monday, Thursday, Shabbos, it doesn't have to be Kriya Torah. It does require a, a minion. And does, does it have to be immediately after? Or like, what's the time? Yeah, that's also a question. Generally speaking, it should be immediately after. Some say within three days. Mm-hmm. And some allow it up to 30 days. But after 30 days, uh, you, don't, uh, you cannot say it anymore. Uh, so, so I feel like for a woman who just gave birth, like, she might just not be interested right away. And, like, well, well, okay, here's the thing. So the question is, when does the clock start running? Meaning... Uh, if she still feels ill and she's still and suffering she's pain, of, right. she's not out of it yet. Yeah. So she has three days from when she feels better, when she feels up to it, and, and the like. Um, by the way, as a little aside, let me just mention one thing. I mean, it's, not, it's not relevant to my topic, but, but it's, a, it's an interesting point. You know, what is the source of a bracha called gomel? What, what, what does the bracha say, first of all? Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Blessed are you God, the King of the Universe. Hagomel lechayavim tovos, who does to the undeserving, meaning me, good things. Shegamalani kol tov that he did for me, all that was good. Meaning you're thanking Hashem. You're saying I was not worthy, but Hashem in His kindness saved me from a danger. And the minion answers Amen, and they say. Misha Gamalcha Kaltov, or Gamalech, if it's a woman, he who, Hashem, who did for you good, who Yigmalcha Kaltov, may God continue to do good for you. It's like we're blessing the person just as Hashem did good for you. That's a very beautiful thing. So may Hashem continue to do good for you. Okay, that's what you're saying. Okay, so what is the source of Birkas and Gomel? So the source is actually Tehillim, Kuf Zion, 107. Tehillim 107, it's a long uh, capital, it's a long chapter. David HaMelech is describing all of the dangers that a person could face. So it talks about a person who wanders the desert. 
or it talks about the person that was in prison, or it talks about the person who was sick and at the gates of death and recovered, and it talks about the person who was lost at sea. And after each one of those four, we'll call it A, B, C, and D, there's a chorus in the Tehillim. Yodu Lashem Chasto. They shall give thanks to Hashem for his loving kindness. And for the wonders that he does for people. So it doesn't say a bracha there, but since David Melech said, after each of these dangers, you shall give thanks to Hashem for his chesed, Chazal looked to that mizmor as a basis for their ruling, their takana, that we should recite a birkas hagomel from Yoidu. Lashem Chasto. In fact, this is uh, now set to a bouncy nigger, but I will not sing for you. But Yadu Lashem Chasto, Benifla Osav Livnei Adam. And that is the source of Birkas Hagayma. And even though there's only four dangers that are mentioned there, what are the four dangers? One who is lost in the desert, one who is imprisoned and released one who is deathly ill and recovers, and one who is lost in a sea voyage. There's only four dangers, but Chazal understood that the four dangers are really examples. And there's a more general idea that Gomel will encompass dangerous situations. So, and so again, so this is good to know that this is from Tehillim Kuf Zayin. Now, um, must be Chabad's minhag too, but uh, among Hasidim there's an interesting minhag that this chapter of Tehillim is recited before Mincha Friday afternoon. I'm interested, is that, is that Chabad's minhag too or they don't? Yeah. You say, you say, yeah, yeah, right, so you say that. Right, so, and even though, the, even though, right, yeah, even though the Alter Rebbe's general Mahalech in Nusach was to kind of shorten it, right? You know that Nusach is, the Alter Rebbe cut off, cut out a lot of things. But this he kept. And the reason he kept is because this comes directly from the Baal Shem Tov himself. The Baal Shem Tov made a takana for Hasidim, all Hasidim, that before you start Shabbos, no, this is the last prayer before Shabbos, before you start Shabbos, you recite Mizmor, so the interesting thing is, what does it have to do with Shabbos? It's very important, Bismarck. It's about Gomel, and halachically, this is the source of Birkas HaGomel. So the postgame used this chapter of Dylan, but it has nothing to do with Shabbos. Now, Mizmor Tzadik Beis also has nothing to do with Shabbos, but at least it's called Mizmor Shir. The Yom HaShabbos, even though it has nothing to do with Shabbos, but at least David HaMelech said, this is for Shabbos. That's maybe a whole other shot. What's the connection? But this has nothing to do with Shabbos, and it doesn't say it's a Mizmor for Shabbos. So what was the thinking of the Baal Shem Tov that he was misaking that we should say this chapter of Tehillim before Shabbos, right? As we enter Shabbos. So one of the explanations that gives a very beautiful explanation, so I'm going a little beyond my official uh, subject, uh, and that is, he says, that in Hasidus, the Moshe understood that these four dangers are not just physical dangers. 
They are spiritual dangers that our neshama faces in this world. And Shabbos is the Hatzalah. Shabbos is God redeeming us from the dangers of the soul. And the Baal Shem Tov wanted us to understand that Shabbos is the refuah for the various types of sicknesses of the soul that a person has. So it goes to go through them. I'm going to go them in reverse order. Uh, the last one that's mentioned, this first one I'm going to discuss, is the person that's lost at sea. And that's described as a person whose ship is going around in circles and circles like a shikker. That's what it says. Like a drunk person. Right? You're in a, a sea voyage and, and, and there's a storm in the ocean. So that refers to a person who is drunk with the tivus of this world. He is so connected to materialism, to hedonism, to physical pleasure that he can't use his mind and his heart to connect to HaKadosh Baruch because he is too aduk, he is too connected to the gashmias, to the physicality, to the taivas of this world. Now obviously the Torah is not against pleasure in this world and especially on Shabbos we're commanded to eat and drink but we eat and drink like to serve Hashem. But when it becomes what you're living for, right? Do you eat to live or live to eat? Right? There's another story. Somebody once said to his Rebbe, he says, I don't know the difference between you and me. He says, before I eat, before I eat an apple, I make a bracha and eat the apple. And before the Rebbe eats an apple, you make a bracha and eat the apple. What exactly is the difference? So the Rebbe said, I'll tell you the difference. He says, you get hungry. You're hungry for an apple. So you have to have an apple to eat. But Nebuch, you're not allowed to eat unless you make a bracha. So you make a bracha in order to eat an apple. But the Rebbe said, the way a, a tzaddik looks at it is, I may, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry for an apple. I'm hungry to bless Hashem. I'm hungry to say a bracha. I'm hungry to connect myself to the Rebbe Shalala. But Nebuch, I'm not allowed to make a blessing in vain. So I gotta find the apple in order to make the bracha. So that's a big difference. Are you making the bracha to eat the apple? Or are you eating the apple to make the bracha? He says, what's what's your motivation? So the one that is lost at sea is the one who is living the life of physicality and gashmias and taiva. Therefore, uh, the nefesh alokis never never gets revealed to him. It's there, of course it's there, right? That that, that is there. But he's he's not openly connected to it. It's covered up. It's blocked. It's in Golos. Right? So that is the Yorde Hayom, the Yom of Taiva. Which was this? Oh, the story I just told you? I, I, just, I don't know. I don't know which one. Oh, it's, it's not a Chabad story, but definitely. Um, I've seen stories of Chabad like, like that, but I, I, I don't recall. I don't, I don't recall ever even seeing the name of the Rebbe that's going oh. to It's one of those. A Rebbe, right. They say generic Rebbe, right? Um, central casting Rebbe, but okay. Uh, now, the other one is a sick person. Now, here it's a very important to say that the Rambam teaches. The Rambam has a, wrote an introduction, well, Rambam wrote a commentary to the Mishnah, you know, here's what it and including Pirkei Avos. And the Rambam wrote an introduction to Pirkei Avos, very important introduction. You should, at some point uh, in your time, uh, maybe learn it. 
It's called the Shemona Prakim. It's eight chapters. It's an interesting, the introduction is more chapters than the book. Perky Office is only six chapters. The Rambam's introduction is eight chapters, where the Rambam talks about uh, different parts of your neshama, and the, this is pre-Hasidus, and the Rambam talks about uh, fixing your midos. And the, you know, the Rambam, as you know, is a very famous doctor as well. So the Rambam often uses medical analogies to spiritual problems. And the Rambam says, bad midos, bad character traits, are sicknesses, they are diseases of the soul. And the same way, if you have a physical ailment, you must go to a doctor who knows how the body works. When you have a spiritual ailment, you must go to the doctors of the soul, the doctors of the neshama. And the doctors of the neshama are the chachamim and the tzaddikim that know the wisdom of the Torah, how to heal your neshama from its sicknesses. The Rambam treats midos ros, anger, selfishness, uh, lack of compassion, cruelty, egotism. These are sicknesses. And we have to find ways to heal our sicknesses, one way or the other. Yeah. He says, you need to go to Zadok's, what does he mean you need to go, like, you need to read what Zadok's say, or? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't, yeah, the Rambam was not discussing personally versus not personally, but he was saying you need to consult. You know, that can be through learning, through having a Rebbe. Uh, you know, you need to go to people who are righteous and holy and pure, and they, the Rambam says, they are called doctors of the soul. They are the rofe hanefesh. They are the doctors of the of the soul, right? That's why Pirkei Avos says, Aseh people think, Aseh get for yourself a teacher, they think it's only for technical things, like halacha. Now, that's important, too. You have to have someone to ask halachic questions. But it's not just for halacha, right? A person needs a rebbe. I mean, this is a person needs a rebbe, needs a mashpiyah, uh, needs a mashpiyah, whatever the, term, whatever the term you're going to use in order to have a pathway in life. It's not just a question of what happens if my milchik spoon falls into the fleshik sink. I need a rav for that also. But Asei L'charav is a much broader, broader idea. Now, by the way, it doesn't have to be the same rav, meaning there could be one rav I talk to about my spoon falling into the sink, and there's another that's my moriderech, rav or rebetzim. For women could be a rebetzim, maybe even more so, who can give you a kind of approach to life, uh, as it were. But one needs that type of thing. The rebbe talks about it a lot. The rebbe talks about how every, you know, everybody, everybody need, needs a rebbe. That, uh, what do they say? They say about the Rebbe, a beautiful thing. And, uh, what made the Rebbe such a great Rebbe, I mean, so many things, was he knew how to be a chassid. Meaning to say, he always considered himself to have a Rebbe, whether it was his father-in-law or early. And the idea was that he was able to make himself a macabre of his Rebbe's and then maybe he could be a Rebbe. But a person who is is not modest enough, is not humble enough to be Maccabell doesn't really have the credentials to be able to give because they're filled with arrogance and gaiva. So the greatest Rebbe will be the one that's the greatest chassid. The greatest chassid can become the greatest, uh, the greatest Rebbe. That's what they say. So, so, so based on the Rambam's idea that when a person has bad midas, they're sick, 
So we could describe the second case of Gaimo, the sick person who recovers, is the person who is consumed with midais rose, anger, selfishness, egotism, cruelty. And this would include, by the way, not only arrogance, but also depression and low self-esteem. That's also michmal in a sickness. A sickness of the nefesh can be, I, I consider myself great, and it can also be, I consider myself nothing. That's also a sickness. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu put you in the world, right? You have a godly soul, a How can a person say I'm nothing? If you say you're nothing, you're saying Hashem is nothing. Because your neshama comes from the breath of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So who are you saying is nothing, right? So a person has to understand their value, understand their worth. Right, so category one, lost at sea, is the one that is too connected to the physical typhus of the world. Category two, the sick person, is the person who is consumed with negative midos rose that the Rambam considers sicknesses of the soul. Category three, I'm really going backwards, is a person that's imprisoned. Now this is worse than sickness. Sickness you have feelings, but they're misdirected in bad ways. Imprisonment means you're dead inside. Now the Alter Rebbe in Tanya differentiates between Marirus and Atzvus. He, he uses, uh, he says, Marirus, you know, the, the Alter Rebbe says that generally speaking, you know, a person has to serve Hashem with Simcha. But he says you should set aside a little part of the day, up to half an hour of the day, where you cry over your Averas and you ask Hashem to forgive you and you really feel a sadness over your sins. But it should only be a half an hour. In other words, it shouldn't be your dominant emotion, but it should be a half an hour where you pour out your, your soul to HaKadosh Baruch But the Rebbe says, the, 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 the Alter Rebbe says, there's a difference between Mariris, where you feel a sadness and a desire to be close to God, versus Atzvus, which he says is a deadening emotion, where you simply don't feel at all. You're like an Eben. You're like a stone. And he says, Mariris is a healthy part of spiritual growth, even though it shouldn't be a dominant aspect of you. The dominant aspect should be Simcha, but a little bit of Mariris energizes you. Like you have a good cry, right? You feel better. Atzvus is deadening. That's your dead inside. You don't feel anything. And that's not, no, that's not good. Even if a Jew sins, even if a Jew has so many things to do tshuva for, you can't come to Atzvus. If you come to Atzvus, by this definition of Atzvus, you'll never do tshuva because you don't feel anything. And, you know, people say the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Love and hate might be closer than you might think because if you're connected to somebody, say you love them, and sometimes, you know, they hurt you and you hate it and hate them even, but you're connected. When you're indifferent, they mean nothing to you. Then... That's the opposite of love, because there's no feeling. Marriage counselors will tell you. If a husband and wife come and one spouse says, I can't stand him, there's hope. There's hope. 
if one says, just, I just don't feel anything. Well, I mean, there's always hope Hashem could do anything, but uh, that's a much more dangerous situation in which there may be very little you can do if there's nothing there. There's nothing there. So that's the difference. The sick person is the one that feels negative emotions. The imprisoned person is the atzvas, the person that has not known. Now, yeah. You said atzvas and what? Marivas. Yeah, now again, I just want to warn you, you know, the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, you know, has his own definitions of things. Meaning, I'm not saying whenever you read the word atzvas in any other cipher, it's going to mean that. The word atzvas just means sadness. Marivas means bitterness. Bitterness? Bitterness, like maror. Bitterness. So, so the Alter Rebbe has a definition that when he uses the term marirus, he means you're feeling sad. Atzvus is you're not feeling anything, you're deadened. And he says marirus is good, but even then it shouldn't be dominant. It shouldn't be dominant. Atzvus is bad. But I'm just warning you, I mean the concept is emes, of course, but I'm just warning you that... Um, when you see the same words in other books, they're not automatically, unless they say they're using the Rebbe's definition, right. they're not automatically, that's a little confusing sometimes. For example, I mean, the classic example is Benoni, right? The whole, the whole Chelek Aleph of Tanya, Sefer Shel Benonim, is talking about the Benoni. But as you know, the Alter Rebbe has a very special definition of a Benoni. A Benoni actually means what we would call it tzaddik. He never sins, he's perfect in thought and in deed and in action, but he still is fighting the Yetzirah. He hasn't killed the Yetzirah yet. Uh, according to the Rambam, Benoni means he's a 50-50 person, meaning uh, if he has more mitzvahs than Averis, he's called a tzaddik. So you have to understand that what the Rambam would call a tzaddik, the Rebbe would call, the Alter Rebbe would call a Benoni, right? Like, so you have to be careful that uh, it's not just al Rebbe, but many Svarim. Many Svarim will, will use words in a certain way, so when they use the words, they mean a certain thing, but other Svarim may use the words in a different way. So Benoni is a very good example, and Atzvus and Meriris is another example. But the Yisod, whatever the words are, but the Yisod is a beautiful Yisod, that active feeling, even if it's sadness, has a therapeutic effect, both psychologically and spiritually, because it's a yearning to be connected to God. But deadening of feeling is not a positive thing. That's, uh, that's kind of, uh, you're like a stone. You're like an ebon, and that's destructive, and you're not going to come to tshuva from that. You don't come from tshuva from deadness, because when you're dead, you don't have the psychic energy to change anything in your life. Enjoy. Right, so a depressed person would fall into the imprisonment. Now again, uh, we're not, I, I'm not suggesting uh, blaming anybody. I'm not blaming a depressed person for being depressed. I mean, some, some, sometimes it's literally a biological condition. Uh, other times there's traumas in life. Uh, but it is a problem, meaning to say, in order to achieve a spiritual closeness to Hashem, 
one has to have the capacity of feeling. And when those feelings are not there, it's going to be very, very difficult to connect to Hashem. Okay, so the last one... This one is, they just yeah. don't feel what part of them, what, what do they not feel? Well, they don't feel uh, they don't feel love. They don't feel passion. They don't feel excitement. In other words, nothing excites them. Uh, even things that are not cutters necessarily. You know, uh, a good meal doesn't excite them. Uh, a song does not make them happy. In other words, the their their on that level is not responding even to animalistic pleasures, and uh, that is a deadening deadening of the self and that that is not conducive to Ruchnis now the last one is actually a positive one that's someone who's wandering in the desert is looking for water so here we can say this this is talking about a spiritual seeker he's looking for wisdom he's looking for life giving purifying wisdom but he's looking in the wrong place <laughs> if you're looking for water, you don't look around in a desert. And that would apply to the person, which was Manazel, we have so many people like that. They are spiritual seekers. They're looking for a connection to Hashem. They're looking for spirituality. They're looking for meaning. But they don't know where to find it. So they go to Buddhism, they go to Christianity, they go to different places. They're seekers of wisdom. But they're in the desert. You know, um, there was a statistic, I don't know if it's still true, that nine out of 10 Western con- English-speaking converts to Buddhism are Jewish. Mm-hmm. Nine out of 10, nine out of 10. So if you meet some Swami who speaks English, 90% chance they're Jewish. Now, on one hand, you know, you could cry and you could say, what a tragedy. I mean, Buddhism is actually idolatry. It's about Zara, you know, all that. On the other hand, in a way, there's something good about it in the sense that why are so many Jews becoming Buddhists? Because they realize that the materialism of the world is empty. And they're looking for meaning, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for something higher. Now, the tragedy is they don't know they can find it in Yiddishkeit. In fact, maybe the Judaism they're familiar with was materialistic. and superficial, right? So they're looking. So the sad news is they're looking in the desert. But the good news is if we could show them that the Torah has it, they would be the, they, they would be the best. They would be the most religious. They would be the most passionate. They would be the most spiritual because they are seekers. They are seekers. And there's something to be said about someone that is a mavakesh, looking to connect to Hashem. So, based on this, again, going back to the Baal Shem Tov, it turns out that the four people in danger are four spiritual conditions. The one that is embedded in taiva, the one that is filled with bad midas, the one that is dead inside, the searcher for wisdom who's looking in the wrong places, and when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Shabbos Kaidesh, Hashem is saying the Kedusha of Shabbos can cure and heal each of these four. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov wanted to say it before Shabbos, to understand that in all of the confusions that we have, 
Shabbos is the refuas hanefesh, or can be, can be the refuas hanefesh. You know, uh, somebody once asked Rav Cook. Rav Cook, since you, uh, you probably don't talk about Rav Cook that much here. I, I think I may, I may have mentioned him a few times. Rav Cook is an interesting person. Now, Rav Cook actually uh, was not a Chabad, but Rav Cook had connections to Chabad. Interesting. His mother was from a Chabad family, and uh, Rav Cook was. Uh, he carried around a Lakutai Torah with him wherever he went. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, very big. Huh? <laughs> very big. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't say tiny. I said Lakutai, but definitely Lakutai Torah, right? Right. So that's a big one, and. Uh, Again, uh, he was very makusher to the Alter Rebbe's uh, Torah, and you can see a lot in a lot of what a lot of what he writes. Even though he has his own unique vocabulary, he doesn't uh, stump quote Rebbe's, but you see that uh, he was tremendously, tremendously influenced uh, by Chabad in many, many ways. Um, but uh, somebody once asked Rav Cook, "Why is there so much machlokas in Eretz Israel? Why does everybody fight here? Everybody does fight here." Religious, secular, uh, Hasidim versus Misnagdim, Ashkenazim versus Svardim, different types of Hasidim with each other, different types of Misnagdim with each other. Everybody fights, right? Everybody fights. That's what Rav Kook said. And, 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 Rav, and Rav Kook knew that because a lot of the fights when he was alive were against him. <laughs> People were attacking him all the time. And Rav Kook said, you're asking me why there's so, fi- so much fighting here how come there are so many sick people in a hospital? I thought a hospital is supposed to make you better, so why is everybody in a hospital sick? The answer is, they go to a hospital to get better. Oh, that's the hope, at least. So he said, Eretz Yisrael is the same way. Eretz Yisrael is a hospital for the neshama. So Hashem brings all the people who like to fight to Eretz Yisrael in the hope, if Cook was an optimist, in the hope that over time, they absorb the holiness of Eretz Yisrael, and uh, eventually they come to Shalom. Now, it's, that's not, it's not right away. It may be intergenerational, but this is the ultimate hope. So the same way that Shabbos brings Shalom into the world in time, so Eretz Yisrael in space is what Shabbos does in, in time, that idea. And that's why the bracha for Shabbos always is Shabbat Shalom, right? Uh, the bracha of Shabbos is peace. You know, we read in last week's Parsha, when Moshe Rabbeinu, before he commands them about the Mishkan, tells them about Shabbos, right? And uh, Rashi gives us the famous uh, pshat that even though there's a mitzvah to build a Mishkan, but you're not allowed to do it on Shabbos. And indeed, the very definition of the 39 categories of work that you're not allowed to do on Shabbos is what was done in building the Mishkan. Oh, so again, I have to digress. I have to tell you a story that goes back to when I was in seventh grade. I was uh, 12 years old. And I, I went to a Jewish day school, but most of my classmates were not religious. And many of my, certainly my secular teachers were not, were not religious at all. So one of my classmates was having a bar mitzvah in, I think, a reform synagogue without, without getting into the halacha. So I was only 12. But uh, so I was planning on going to my classmate's bar mitzvah. And it was a five-mile walk in the summer, and there was no Erev, so I couldn't have any water. So I'm walking, like, you know, five miles in the hot, hot summer heat, and my English teacher, my seventh grade teacher, drives by. She happens to be Jewish, and uh, she offers me a ride. I'll give you a ride. Come on in. So I said, well, I, I can't go in the car. So she says, why not? 
So he said, well, you know, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to do work. And uh, if I go into the car, the extra weight causes more gasoline to be burnt. So, you know, I'm doing work on Shabbos. And, you know, uh, so she says, oh, so let me understand this. You get into the car, you can be in, this, in, in the synagogue in two minutes with the air conditioning. And you can't do that because that's too much work. So because you're not allowed to do work, you're going to walk five miles in the heat without water. Does that make sense to you? So at that point, I was thoroughly confused. I was only 12 years old, so I kind of just disengaged from the conversation. I got to go, you know. Uh, but, you know, it is an interesting question. You know, you may sound like a foolish I mean, you know, uh, actually, it's a good question. What's going on with this thing about work? Can't do work on Shabbos. So I can't get into the car. I got to walk. And if I'm in the house and I move tables all day, it's mutter. If I go outside with a toothpick and there's no Erev, from inside to outside, I'm Chayav Misa. Right? I turn on a light. I get the death penalty because I made a fire. In other words, what's going on here? There are so many things about Shabbos in which it's not physically work at all and it's absolutely forbidden and all sorts of stuff that's really physical work. That's not forbidden. So it's very important, again, this is basic, and I'm, I'm sure you covered it, forgive me if, if you went over this, that the thing about malacha, malacha, is not physical exertion. Malacha is creative domination over the raw materials of nature. What makes an activity usr on Shabbos is not how much physical effort you put into it, but how much power have you demonstrated over the raw materials of nature? So you think about it. Malacha always involves your control over nature, your ability to shape nature, planting, plowing, harvesting, threshing, grinding, cooking, writing, sewing, weaving. You're taking raw materials, fire, and you're showing your power over them. So the idea of Shabbos is that since Shabbos is commemorating Hashem is the ultimate creator, how do I show that? By refraining from the mastery that I normally employ. Now, therefore, if it's easier to start a fire today than it used to be, that's not a reason to make it mutter, that's a reason to make it more usher. Because today, my power over fire is greater than it was when I had to spend an hour uh, rubbing you know, two sticks together. Okay, very important yesod. Malacha is connected to mastery over raw materials. And you refrain from that mastery to acknowledge Hashem as the, as the creator. And that is what malacha is. And that is why mere physical exertion does not make it a malacha. Now, Rabbinically, you're not supposed to physically exert yourself either, because Shabbat should also be a day of rest, but that's not the definition of malach. Okay, uh, but be it as it may, though, when the Torah says, don't do work, it then specifies one particular work. Do not have a fire on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. That's really superfluous. The Torah already said, don't do work. Why does it say, don't have a fire on Shabbos? Fire is one of the 39 work, categories of work. So there are different interpretations, but uh, there's a, a famous Hasidic word that says this is a remez 
that fire is often identified as the fire of machlokas, anger, mm-hmm. dissension, fighting, acrimony. And the Torah is giving you a special commandment. Do not engage in strife and in anger when you enter Shabbos. And there's a point that's been made, and again, you'll, uh, you will undoubtedly experience this when you get married. Well, no, no, hopefully, why should I say something negative? Hopefully, you will not experience it when you get married, but most people wind up. That is, Erev Shabbos, in a from home, the closer you get to Shabbos, the more tension tends to build up. A lot of tension does build up because you're working against the clock. And the funny thing is, no matter when Shabbos is, we're always running late. No, in the winter, Shabbos is 4 o'clock, so we're ready by 4 o'clock. So in the summer, where Shabbos is 8 o'clock, why can't they be ready at 4 o'clock? No, somehow, when it's 8 o'clock, I'm ready, I'm, you know, I'm going to be ready at, at 8 o'clock. Right? So as a result, there's a lot of tension. Especially when you have children, they've got to take your showers, get dressed, clean up, do this, put the children on, put the water on. You know, a lot of little things, which add up to a lot of things. So there's tension. So the Swarim say that whenever something wonderful and holy is about to happen, the Yetzirah redoubles its efforts to prevent it from happening. Who says that the Sepharim or Sepharia? No, Sepharia. Many, many books, holy oh, okay. books. But they say, Sepharia Kabbalah, Sepharia Chasidus. And the idea is that because the holiness of Shabbos is so great, the Yetzirah wants there to be machlokas and acrimony and tension before Shabbos. So you will not be able to receive the bracha that Shabbos represents. So a person has to work extra hard. You've got to resolve to yourself, I'm not going to allow my calmness to go away. Because you're trying, in other words, like almost like talking to the Yetzirah, you're trying to take something away from me. I will not let you take it away from me. Now, easier said than done. I'm not lecturing you. I mean, uh, obviously, this is something that uh, we always struggle with. And it's something to, to be aware of. And this is the remez, do not have fire on Shabbos. So it's not just the malacha of fire, but the fire of machlokas. There was a Hasidic Rebbe. He was uh, older than the Alter Rebbe, but he was a, uh, an older Talmud of the... Mezirich Market, right? You know, you know, you know, you know the early years of Hasidus. You had the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov's Mamale uh, Makam, his successor, was Rav Dov Bear of Mezirich, the Mezirich Magid, the Magid that he was called. And the Magid was the Rebbe of all the people who became the great Rebbe's, Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, etc. The Alter Rebbe was the youngest of the, of the Talmidim. Um, but uh, one of the great Talmidim of the Magid was the Rebbe, <coughs> Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk. And uh, the Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk was the founder of Hasidus in Poland. It's so interesting. The Magad of Mezirich divided the European continent into different countries. And he assigned different Rebbe's to kind of bring Hasidus to those countries. The Alter Rebbe was given Lithuania. Why was he given Lithuania? Litvak? Number, number one, that was the hardest nut to crack. Uh, number two, the the Litvish temperament, the Litvak, was rational, logical. You know, they didn't go for emotional stuff. And the Alter Rebbe was the most 
you know, philosophical, well, number one, he was the greatest in terms of nigla, in terms of Gemara, you know, he was a master of, of that. And he was a master of what the Litvisher world would respect. Some of the other Dolichasidas were Gedolim, but they were not necessarily a master in the same level. And number two, the Alter Rebbe was very philosophical, very philosophical. Chabad, right? That's Chabad. Chabad Chasidas is based Chochma, Bina Das, as opposed to Chagat. Chagat is Chesed, Gevur Teferis, that's emotional Chasidas. Chagat Chasidas. And the Alter Rebbe deliberately created a different Shita of Chasidas, and uh, that was said to be, uh, I mean, it's good for everybody, but he said it was, the, uh, that's the only one that the Litvaks are going to listen to. So he sent the Alter Rebbe to Lithuania, uh, and Rabbi Limelech of Lezhensk was in Poland. In Poland. I mean, obviously, in the course of years, there's cross-fertilization, so you have <laughs> different Hasidists in all, all over the place. But initially, the Magid divided uh, the map, and he sent here to here, and here to here, and here to here, uh, and the like. So the, Rabbi Elimelech, his yard site just was, um, it's in other. Uh, I was in Poland only once in my life, and I, was, I was, happened to be in the yard site of Rebbe Limelech, and you have uh, tens of thousands of Hasidim from all over the world, mainly from Israel, they go, they go there to the Yard Center. It's not like Uman, although now with the Ukraine, Bezrus Hashem, uh, everything should be good. I know it's going to be with Uman right now, but uh, it's not like Uman, but it's a, it's a, a, lot, a lot of people go. Uh, so uh, when Rebbe Limelech uh, died, so his Talmudim very, very much wanted to hear some stories, some, something about him that they didn't know. So they were looking and looking, who knew him, who knew? So they finally found a woman who was very, very old. She had been a cook by the Rebbe years and years and years before. And she was already uh, a little uh, dementia. She, her mind was not fully there, but they wanted to know something. Now to be a cook in the Rebbe's house is not an easy thing. Uh, you have hundreds and hundreds of people coming for Shabbos and, and, and even during the week. And so there's a whole staff of cooks. It's like a hotel, basically. So the, the Talmudim wanted to talk to her and they said, can you tell us something about what it was like to cook for the Rebbe Limelech, you know, 50 years ago? So she said, she doesn't remember very much and uh, the Rebbe didn't talk to her a lot anyway. She was in the kitchen and the Rebbe was not in the kitchen that much. But there was, was one thing... Uh, again? And she was a woman. And she was a woman. Okay, there was, I didn't want to go there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's true also. <laughs> okay. So, but she said she remembered one thing, that she said during the week, there was a big kitchen staff and so many people that needed to have food that we were always fighting in the kitchen. We were like screaming at each other and yelling and, you know, what's, again, what's the soup and do that and do that and do that and do that. And somehow, she said, when Shabbos came, even though there was even a bigger demand... Somehow, everything got peaceful. All of a sudden, there was a bracha of shalom that came in the merit of Shabbos. That we all got along with each other till Motzei Shabbos, then we started fighting again. And she said that even dogs, you know, dogs would come into the kitchen because there was a lot of food there. And the dogs were always barking. Uh, on Shabbos, the dogs were quiet also. So she said that this was the kayach of Rabbi Melech that he brought in the, the, shalom, the shalom of Shabbos. So that's, uh, don't have fire in your house on Shabbos. Yeah. Um, is Rebbe Elimelech different from Noam Elimelech? Uh, no. Uh, Noam Elimelech is the Sefer. The Sefer he wrote. Of Rebbe Elimelech of the Jets. Yeah, uh-huh. that's correct. Is that with an ayin? Noam with an ayin? Yeah, no, the sweetness of Elimelech. Noam Elimelech. Yes, yeah, so Noam Elimelech. Himself or Hasidim? 
No, I think he wrote it himself. He wrote it himself. Uh, in fact, the MS is, uh, it's interesting. I mean, okay, it depends. It's more of an academic point. Uh, historians of Hasidus say that the Nayam Elimelech was the inventor of a certain relationship of a chassid to a Rebbe that went beyond the Baal Shem Tov and went beyond uh, the Magid, in which you have to literally tie yourself to the Rebbe in that way. And it's fascinating, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm going on thin ice, that the Alter Rebbe rejected that notion in, in, in the Igris at the end of uh, Tanya. You have Igris Kaidish, right? The last Chalik of Tanya. So you have letters from the Alter Rebbe? So I don't know if you learned that part of Tanya. Oh, no, well, not the fourth part of Tanya. There's Kundra's and then there's Igris Kaidish. So in, in Igris Kaidish, the Alter Rebbe has a whole arichus in which he says he doesn't want people to come to him for questions about business. And he doesn't want people to come to him for questions about what they should do, this and what should do that. He says he is there to help them in their Avedah Sashem. And then they have to work on themselves. And they have an achrayas for their learning and for their mitzvahs. And he says it's a big mistake to put everything on the shoulders of a Rebbe. A Rebbe is there to teach you to discover what your tafkid is. And then you have to work on yourself. This is what Rebbe said. Tafkid, what's that? Your goal, your mission. In fact, uh, somebody once said, there was a Rebbe who, I don't remember the exact details, who... Some of the Alter Rebbe's Talmidim were jealous of the Talmidim of this Rebbe because they daven with so much excitement. They said they daven with so much fire. So the Alter Rebbe says, because they're davening with the Rebbe's fire in them, I want you to daven with the fire that's in you. And that's harder to find. Hmm. It's easier to take the Rebbe's fire and put it in you it's harder, he said, to find the fire that's already in you. And the Alter Rebbe said, my, t- my goal is to enable you to light your fire and not simply take somebody else's fire and have it burn in you. So the emiss is, I mean, I don't want to get too academic on you, the emiss is, the Nayam Elimelech, the Alter Rebbe, were, were, were colleagues, they were chaverim, but they had, they had different shittas. The Adayim Ali Melech was much more the idea. You connect to the Rebbe and the Rebbe gives you. As opposed to the Alter Rebbe says, the Rebbe will reveal within you what your kochos, what your kochos are. Okay, so that's very, very interesting. But uh, this is the Rebbe, Rebbe Ali Melech, very, very famous uh, Rebbe. My brother's name back in. Oh, after the Adayim Ali Melech? Okay, he was the... Uh, the really kind of the founder of Hasidus in Poland. It's a big, uh, big deal. Yeah. Wait, so you were saying... I'll tell you, let me just mention one thing right This is why they quote that the Hasidus of Poland, I think it's from Rabbi Yimala, there's a Pasuk in Chabakuk that says, Chabakuk is one of the prophets, Tzadik Yemunaso Yichya. A Tzadik lives through his faith. So the Pailash Hasidim read it a little differently. Tzadik b'emunaso yechaya. The Tzadik, through his faith, yechaya, gives you life. Mm-hmm. And that, the Alter Rebbe B'davka said, no, <laughs> that's not what it says. It says the Tzadik lives, the Tzadik does not give you life, the Tzadik helps you discover mm-hmm. what your 
Tafkis is. So it's interesting that even within Hasidus, it's not all like one thing. You know, there are many different uh, gishos and approaches. Chabad has a, you know, Chabad has an approach. It's not just general, you know, general stuff. Okay, I'm sorry, did you want to say anything? I think you just clarified that the, yeah. that one said that they give it to you and the altar rabbi said, I, I help you find it. I help you find what is within you. Yeah, okay. That's what he says. He says, they're davening with the rabbi's fire. I want you to dive in with your fire. And uh, I don't want you to borrow the fire from somebody else. He says, so it's going to be much harder. It's much harder. It's, it's a, right, that's Aruka Shikitsar. The whole time, the long way, that's the short way. Meaning, um, it's a long way to find it within you, but that will get you to where you need to go. The other way will not get you where you need to go. It looks like it's, looks like you're there, but in fact, it's uh, going to be a much, much more difficult way. Okay. So that was uh, a little bit of a digression on, on, on Gaimel. I don't even, I don't even, I can't even reconstruct how I got. Quick question: The yeah. Rabbi would send his students to different places yeah. to do what? Okay, so you have to understand. You know, people think. You know, everyone knows the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of Hasidus, right? We we know that, okay? But you know, when the Baal Shem Tov was Nifter, how many Hasidim do you think there were? Uh, the Baal Shem Tov did not have thousands and thousands and thousands of people. There was a group of very holy, very chashuk people, but. It was not a mass movement at all. So the Magid's job was the one to kind of send shluchim, like shluchim, to different communities to begin to teach people the inyanim of Hasidus and attract them and uh, bring them to this derech in Avodah Hashem. So in the same way, you could say that the Rebbe, you know, our, you know, your Rebbe, the more recent Rebbe, has shluchim. So the Magid had shluchim. In other words, the idea was to bring because it wasn't a question of bringing Yiddishkeit, because he was largely talking to from people, but to bring Hasidus to people, teaching Hasidus and the like. So I don't know if you ever read the, this book, very interesting book. I, I, I read it when I was uh, very young, but it's still a wonderful book. Uh, the Friedeker Rebbe has memoirs, Zichronas, have you ever seen? The Rebbe's Zichronas. Uh, and it's only, I mean, he, he doesn't even get to the altar. I, I mean, it's like he's writing, uh, and this would have been like 20 volumes, I know, but apparently only two volumes got published, and I think it takes you up until the Alter Rebbe's grandfather or something. Father. Or father, father. yeah. Uh, Baruch, yeah, Baruch. Uh, but you see uh, so many stories there. He tells beautiful stories about um, how the early Hasidim would come into communities and mm-hmm. try to be Makarev. Uh, I still remember a scene there about a Siam Arab. Apparently there was a blacksmith that had... Uh, mm-hmm. Few sons-in-law. Some of them were. One was Hasidus, and one were big lamdanim. You know, and uh, the lamdanim looked down at the uh, Hasidic, uh, Hasidic one. And erev Pesach, you know, for the firstborn, people make it. They finish a tractate. They finish a masechta. So it gives you the whole thing. I remember it was fascinating. It gave like a tractate. The older, you know, the the, the learned sons-in-law gave this very learned seum that nobody understood. Nobody got anything out of it. It was like showing off how learned they were with all of the complications. And, you know, the average Balabayas was totally confused and didn't know what was going on. And then the Hasidic person sits down and he also made a seum, but he, he connected it to uh, the, the holiness of the Jew. It's just very, very nice. He, the the Friedrich Rebbe reproduces like the whole, <laughs> the whole seums. Like a, a seum on Yavamos and a seum on Chagiga. <laughs> goes through the different thing. So you see, you actually get, you, but you actually get a sense of how they would try to spread Hasidus in a very indirect way, talking to people, being mechazek people, 
you know, it was kind of, and then people would say, oh, can you teach me, can you teach me the sweetness of your Torah? It doesn't sound like it was one type of chassidus, though. It was like everyone had their own style, and it was everyone spread that way, and then the started. That's correct, but 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 there was but there was officially. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, uh, individual Hasidim were just doing individual things, mm-hmm. but but the, but he didn't want there to be uh, a uh, a leader, so to speak, a rebbe, a rebbe of all the individual Hasidim. In fact, the Alter Rebbe was the Alter Rebbe was a very very strict uh, taskmaster, and he writes uh, again in the uh, Igris Kaidesh. Uh, he talks about people were davening too quickly in Minyanim and they were, they were talking during davening. He said, I'm going to send messenger shaluchim, you're not even going to know, I'm going to send spies. He said, spies, I'm going to send maraglim to watch your Minyanim and if I get a report, if I get a report that you're talking, you're not going to be able to see me for two months, he said. <laughs> he actually writes, he says, I'm, I'm going to send, I'm going to send maraglim. <laughs> So it's interesting that uh, you, you see from the the Eucharist the Kaidish kind of, you know, on one hand the Alter Rebbe was uh, the Alter Rebbe, on the other hand he was actively involved in, in a movement. He had, uh, you know, he had rules, he had procedures, he had disciplines uh, that he wanted to impose. I saw with the Rebbe himself, I saw something that was, it was, it was really very, very interesting. Um, apparently the Rebbe was very, very annoyed that people uh, would look at him during davening. They would just watch him during davening, you know. So he said, I, 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 heard, him say, I heard him say this on YouTube, I saw this on YouTube. He said that, uh, he says, you know, next time I see Hasidim looking at me during davening, I'm gonna go over to them with the sitter and I'll say, here's a sitter if you need a sitter. He says, I'll open it up to the page for you. Uh, and he, <laughs> he says, in the olden days, he says, Gabor would take care of this. He says, no, what's going on? I have to take care of this. I have to give people Sidurim now. <laughs> but he said, he said, I'm going to give you a sitter. He says, and if you don't look into the sitter, he says, I may have to go to my office in Davin and not Davin with a minion anymore. And you're going to cause me, he said, you're going to cause me to lose Tefillah B'Tzibor, Tefillah with a minion. He says, so, you know, so you better, you better correct yourself, you know. So he was also saying, he says, uh, what are you looking at me? You're, praying, you're diving to a show. What are you looking at me? He said, <laughs> he said, he might have said, it was very, very interesting to see that, uh, that side of it also. So uh, it's like a parent, you know, you have troublesome kids. Sometimes you've got to discipline your kids. You know, it's not all uh, going to be on a high spiritual level. You've got to deal with all the mice, the practicalities of life. You have to deal with, um, deal with as, as, as well. So uh, the Alter Rebbe dealt with it, and I said the Magid of Ezrich uh, had to deal with it, deal with it as well. Uh, but this is, uh, but these were different shittas. The, the Magid of Mezirich, again, each of the Talmudim were different, and they were they were sent to different countries, different types of Jews, different personalities. So is he kind of like a rabbi? Magid of Mezirich. He's a rabbi. Yeah, he's a rabbi. He's a rabbi, rabbi Limalach. That's what he's called. Although it's interesting, I don't think. There's any Hasid, and there was, there's no dynasty uh, directly. I mean, there are different Hasidish Rebbe's are related to him, but I don't think, like, you know, Chabad, Bells, Ger, you know, I, I don't think there's a Lezhensk dynasty per se. Are there, yeah. what, what are the other Hasidim that, like, are a dynasty starting from after the Lezhensk? No, so a lot of the dynasty, well, well Chabad started with the Alter right. Rebbe. 
Uh, it's really, Berdicha also doesn't have, doesn't have a dynasty. It's interesting that most of the Talmudim of the Magids did not start dynasties. The dynasties seem to have started a generation later. Ger, you know, this is, this is later. Bells, Ger. Satmer, of course, this is much, much later. So uh, it seems that even after the Magid, you had great, great rebbe's, uh, Levi Yitzchak, but you didn't have the hereditary successions yet. But Rabbi Nachman, you also don't have that, and still there's still like a big. We don't see kind of like the Hasidic around like the Rabbi Yitzchak of Rishon the way right. we see it by the Rabbi Nachman. That's correct. Is that that's correct. His writings are more extensive, or is that? Like it could. You know, that's that's a very good question. I mean, Levi Yitzchak is is revered, uh, and and uh, people do learn uh, Kedusha Slavi, and uh, he, he in fact you see how how. Uh, how respected he was. He wrote a Haskama for the Shneer Zalman asked him to write a Haskama for the Tanya. Maybe it's like the person who wrote on, on the Tanya. Um, but uh, why there was no dynasty, it's hard to know. But it could be that number, Rav Nachman, number one, Rav Nachman didn't write a lot, but Rav Nachman had a Talmud, Rabbi Nassan, who wrote a tremendous amount. And Rav Nachman is also a great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, so maybe this Baal Shem Tov connection that Rav Nachman had. No, Chabad has an interesting Messiah, which sounds really bad, but it's not, it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> you know, the Alter Rebbe called the Tanya Sefer Shobeinonim, which literally means the book of the mediocre. But, but again, based on the Alter Rebbe's definition of a Benoni, a Benoni is really a very righteous person, but he's still struggling with the Yetzirah and the Nefesh Bahamas, and therefore Tanya is a book about living with struggle and overcoming. Now, the definition of a tzaddik is someone who literally either was born without a Yetzirah, which is rare, or destroyed the Yetzirah, which is also rare. So I think Chabad has a Messiah that the Alter Rebbe did write another book, Sefer Shel Tzaddikim. And that was because it's a good kasha. Like, what's the, I mean, maybe it's theoretical for most of us, but like, what's the purpose of a tzaddik's life? The Benoni's life is to struggle and make the right decisions. But if, but if I've reached the level where I don't struggle anymore, like what's the topless? Well, what, what is a tzaddik's role based on the Alter Rebbe's definition of tzaddik? So it is said, the Alter Rebbe wrote, Sifrin Shel Tzaddikim, but it got birds, whatever, the world was not roy for it. So I think Chabad says there's also a safer for Rishoyim. And that's Breslov. Breslov is the safer for Rishon. So, uh, now, that sounds really bad. It sounds like an insult. It is, it, is, it, is actually, it is actually not meant to be an insult. Uh, what it means to say is the following. The person's a Russia, he's so far gone that he has nothing to hold on to. So he says Breslov can pull him out of that situation. And then he's ready for Tanya. Uh, the concept, in other words, that he gets pulled out of the absolute tuma of being a Russia, and then he's ready to become a Benoni. So it's not an insult. It's a, it says Breslov is very good for people who are kind of extremely depressed or extremely tzabrachim. It can pull them out of their atzvahs. And, and if you look at uh, Likute Maran, you see that Likute Maran talks a lot about depression and a lot about despair and a lot about uh, getting into simcha. So he said that was seemed to be. I, I, I don't. I don't know if Breslov would agree with this characterization, but it says Breslov is a hachana 
to Chabad. <laughs> it's not Chana. Chana, preparation. Right? Do you rest up a little bit, and then you're ready for, for Chabad. Who said that? I, I, think, I think Chabad's, I mean, I think that's what, that was Chabad's Messiah, that uh, Rav Nachman is, is the Sefer Shol Rishayim, and Tanya is the Sefer Shol Benanim, which of course that's what it's called. And the Alter Rebbe wrote Sefer Shal Sadiqim, but that, that was that was burnt. We don't have we don't have that one. Yeah. So what were you saying? So what kind of Sadiq is the Benini struggles? What is no, because because again, let me point out that the Alter Rebbe has he, he defines these words in a very unusual yes. way. Yeah. He does not simply say a Sadiq is a righteous person. He says a Sadiq is a person who is no longer struggling with the Yetzir Hara. Yes. He killed the Yetzir Hara. And he points out that there's no guarantee if Hashem gives you, in other words, no matter how righteous you are, there's no guarantee Hashem will ever elevate you to the level of Sadiq because that's a getter of Olam Haba. It's like you're getting your Olam Haba in this world. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll get it, maybe not. There's no guarantee. But the question becomes, uh, although none, no, virtually none of us you know, are going to be tzaddikim under that level, how vile we should be made of them. That would be a wonderful thing. But the question becomes, in, logically, what is the purpose of a tzaddik's life? Our life is we struggle, we have drives that take us away from God, so we have to fight, we have to battle. Our life is about battle. But if you already won the battle, what is the purpose of life? Why doesn't God just take you right now? So that is what the Sefer Shal Sadiqim was, was trying to answer. But we don't have the Sefer, so... I, well, also, we don't know what his answer was. I, I couldn't really tell you. I mean, I mean, I, you, know, you could guess, uh, speculate, but we don't have a clear answer. Uh, but again, it's, uh, along. Right, I don't it's, have that problem, so I don't mind. I'm saying we don't. It's, 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 it's not. It's, it's, it's a very good question, but it's not a problem that yeah, that, that Lamaisa uh, we really have, right. because again, according to Delta Rebbe, uh, the vast, vast majority of even what we call Sadiqim mm-hmm. are Benonim. They're high-functioning Benonim. They're Benonim that are doing everything right, but they're still Benonim because they're living in the world of struggle. Yes. Yeah, right? That's the idea. Yeah. Um, so you said that, like some people say, that for us, the is the sacred shelter shine. Yeah. But you don't really hear like Shulfim encouraging people to go learn rest of Hasidus, even though most of us are probably Roshan. Well, okay. Don't, don't, so we're don't. striving to be Benonim. We're not yeah. trying to say that. Well, you know, this is, a, I mean, you're going to have to ask individual shluchim, but, but I think uh, there, there is going to be a concern that uh, even though in an ideal sense, let's say from a Chabad perspective, breast of it could be a very good stepping stone, but there is a concern that since it is a movement in and of itself, you know, it may get you and not have you move to what's, you know, what's considered to be, uh, you know, different, better, whatever it is. I mean, I'm not expressing an opinion on, on that, but... Uh, but from the but from but from the perspective of a shaliach, I would be concerned that you know I, I want you to follow chabad. I, I don't want you to do breastlock, whatever whatever it would be. You know? But again, it's not a question of putting people down. I'm not putting people. In fact, there was a sefer that came out shortly after the Tanya from from the from the Litvish side of things. The Vilna Gaon's great Talmud was Rav Chaim of Olajan, uh, and he he started the very famous. Yeshiva of Elijah, etc. And he wrote a sefer called Nefesh HaChayim. Uh, 
which is really in the Litvashi Yeshiva world, this is the mission statement. This is almost like this is the official, this is the Litvashi Tanya, basically. And the truth of the matter is, uh, he doesn't mention Tanya, uh, but the Rebbe liked the Sefer a lot. The Rebbe liked Nefesh Chaim a lot. And he claimed, the Rebbe's felt, that Rav Chaim borrowed stuff from the Tanya that he put into the, he integrated Tanya with, uh, with the Vilna Gun, uh, even though the, the Sefer does not say it. But the, the Rebbe felt that way. So I think that... Uh, Somebody said to the Rebbe, uh, I think the Rebbe's brother-in-law said to him, he says, because uh, the Rebbe was quoting Nefesh Achayim in, in Sicha, so this is like it never, this never happened before. And so he says, so, he says, is the Rebbe saying, you know, we Hasidim, Hasidim should learn Nefesh Achayim? So the Rebbe said, it's not such a bad idea. <laughs> so, what was the mission statement, like the main statement? Well, the Nefesh is, uh, well, there's a lot of things, but, but a lot of it is about the importance of learning, Talmud Torah, learning, 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 especially Gemara and uh, Halacha, and, 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 uh, and the idea is that that's more important than the Kavanos that you have, etc. Uh, again, the kind of fidelity. Now, again, I, I, again, forgive me for going beyond, again, my, my official job here. Um, but this again goes back to why the Alter Rebbe, you know, you know, people don't realize, and I don't know if, I don't know if Chabad they even teach this, the Tanya was a very controversial work when it was published. And when I say controversial, I don't mean among the Misnagdim. Mm-hmm. I mean among the Hasidim. There were many, many Hasidish Rebbe's and many Hasidim who were very upset at the Alter Rebbe for writing Tanya. Why is that so? A lot of reasons. One reason was that the Alter Rebbe, based on his philosophy of Chabad, felt that many inyanim of Kabbalah could be intellectually explained so that a chassid would be able to understand these ideas. There were Rebbe's that felt, this is Kabbalah, this is for the Rebbe to know, this is not for uh, Hasidim to know. Uh, the Alter Rebbe was putting too much knowledge so to speak, in the hands of regular Hasidim. That was one Tanya. The, the real Tanya, that there's too much Kabbalah in Tanya and, you know, people aren't ready for it. The other reason is that if you read Tanya, you will see that in addition, so many beautiful things in Tanya, but the Alter Rebbe talks a lot about Torah learning and he talks a lot about the importance of keeping halacha exactly. And of course, the Alter Rebbe wrote uh, the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, the Alter Rebbe was uh, one of the great, great poskim, even for non-Chabad people. The Shulchan Aruch Harab is one of the great books on halacha. Now, there were streams of Hasidus that, that basically said the most important thing is inspiration. The most important thing is inner joy. And if that means you're going to daven late or you're not going to do this halacha or that halacha, so what? There's something much more important than the details of halacha. So, you know, there's an old saying, when you walk in the middle of the road, you get hit by traffic on both sides. So it's dangerous to walk in the middle of the road. The Alter Rebbe was trying to combine two different things. Uh, the Litvisher were saying, the only thing that matters is keeping the halacha and learning Torah. There were Hasidim that were saying, the only thing that matters is avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem passion and emotion. The Alter Rebbe was saying, this is a false binary dichotomy. You need 
Avas Hashem, Yeres Hashem, they are the wings that bring your mitzvahs to Hashem. But the guf, the body of the bird, is the Torah and the mitzvahs that have to be done properly. So, you see, the Litvashah were complaining that he was too much emphasizing the subjectivity of religious passion. And the Hasidim were complaining, the Yenachas Hasidim were complaining that he was too much emphasizing just Torah learning and mitzvahs. So Tanya is really a synthesis of these two jerachim in which he's molding them together. And uh, as I say, people don't realize this was a very controversial work in the Hasidic world. There were those who were against against it in a lot of ways. So again, I don't know if you, have you ever discussed, probably you'll discover Tanya controversies. Uh, but that is why. But, but, it, but to me, that shows the godless. I mean, the Alter Rebbe was uh, a real mechad. He was a mechadish. He was taking different jerachim in Klal Yisrael. And he was combining them and, and showing how both were necessary. And both were emes. And both are needed to connect to HaKadosh Baruch So that's why the Rebbe said that a lot of the Litvish stuff in the Nefesh HaChayim is, the, is connected to the Tanya. In fact, I knew of a famous Rabbi, well, not famous, but a great Rabbi Ball. He was a Nister, actually. He was a very concealed job, but tremendous, tremendous guy in Baltimore. Uh, just like, you know, you know, you, know, you have Chitas, um, right? You have Tanya with Tehillah. So he took Tanya and Nefesh Shachayim and he bound them together. So he had both, both Sfarim bound together. Tanya and Nefesh Shachayim says that he would learn both. He said that these two Sfarim, and as they say, uh, I think the Rebbe was the first Chabad Rebbe who quoted the Vilna Gaon too. He even quoted the Vilna Gaon. And I think they say the first time he quoted the Vilna Gaon, like Hasidim went crazy. <laughs> Never happened in like 250 years. <laughs> but he said, you know, everybody, you know, everything's good. <laughs> you, have to learn, you have to learn from everything. Kind of like the well. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, so again, I apologize for uh, going off off. But I will I will get back uh, back to it. But as I say, uh, I, I don't mind going off topic if, if you don't mind. You know, if you want to talk about anything, I'm I'm happy to happy to do it. Okay, anything uh, anything else? Okay, alrighty. All right, so maybe, maybe we'll stop a little early, and Mr. Shem will see you next week, and uh, I'll continue about the, the risk analysis. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you. Uh, I, I guess I was a consultant, I guess you, you could call it. Because yeah, I, yeah. I learned medical ethics officer from there. Yeah. And so many of the things you're saying, you must have, like... Yeah, 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 we, 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 talk, we, talk, we talked a lot. We talked a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's really... Uh, he, he actually teaches?